0: Greetings to you again this evening. It's uh, good to be back in the house of God and, and uh, think about another message here this evening. You know, if you're here tonight and you have, a, uh, you have a place to live, you have a place to relax and lay your head on a pillow tonight, you have uh, a job. That you can work and provide for your family, <clears throat> and you uh, you might even have a Christian family, uh, loving parents, maybe many other things that we could look at that that you would and that you would have as part of your part of your life. you are blessed beyond what is it, something like 90% of the world's population, who have very little, next to nothing, of the things that I just mentioned. As we think about a love for the lost tonight that compels action, I, uh, I want to start by looking at a story that's very familiar to all of us. It's... uh, I'm just going to spend a little bit of time here then we're going to go on a broad view tonight of God's love for the world. Uh, Broad view. (laughs) Okay. Worldwide view. I have four points to look at on that. And then I want to come back to a New Testament passage where we'll draw four more points a bit more on how to relate to the lost. <clears throat> the story I want to begin with here is in Luke 16, familiar story of the rich man and Lazarus. And I'm not even going to read it. I'm just going to rehearse a few thoughts from this uh, from this chapter this this story of the rich man and Lazarus. And you know, you know this, you know the beginning from the end, we know how it ends. Lazarus was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom, and the rich man died and was buried. Okay? And then he cried out for help, this rich man. And we would say tonight that he, he died, was buried, and found himself in hell. Found himself in a place that none of us here tonight would ever fathom experiencing. And so what I want to draw from this story is is that the rich man did not find himself in hell simply because he was wealthy, okay? He found himself there because he did not use the resources he had to help a poor beggar. and I tell you, brothers and sisters, as I think about it and come to this message tonight, I think there's quite a bit that I need to learn from that. I said, we've been blessed beyond measure. So what am I doing with those blessings? yeah, we have we have uh, resources laid up, you know I I'm at the age now, I start thinking about retirement, and how much money do we need for retirement? We talk about our 401Ks, our CDs, our IRAs, you name it. The list goes on and on about all the wealth that we have laid up. My challenge to you in the introduction of this message tonight is, are you using your resources to help the poor beggar who might be right next to your door, your neighbor? down the street, wherever it might be. We could go on with this, uh, with this account, uh, and I don't, uh, I don't think I will, but simply as an opening challenge to us about what we're doing with all the wealth and all the blessings that God has given us here in America. Millions and millions of people don't even know where their next meal is coming from. And we have our freezers full. (laughs) So many other things. So tonight as as I think about a love for the lost that compels action, we live in a world today that's filled with bad news okay? We live in a world where we hear reports of earthquakes that rock several areas of many countries killing hundreds if not thousands and leaving thousands more injured and homeless. We hear of great tidal waves that rush inland from earthquakes in the ocean leaving untold dead and numberless homeless in its wake. We hear of riots that kill thousands and wound thousands more. We hear of bombings by terrorists that again take the lives of hundreds if not thousands of people and injured and leaving many without the bare necessities of life. We hear of thousand thousands upon thousands of workers that are idled because of strikes and demanding higher pay or better benefits or whatever it could be. And large sections of production are stand are stood still because of strikes. We hear of the rumors of war and Russia massing troops on the front lines and today the 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 news of the war between Russia and Ukraine and we hear of lives that are destroyed by these attacks. Then we hear of American uh, warships that are patrolling various parts of the Middle East, the Mediterranean or wherever wherever it is, wherever there's needs. Many events in the lives of our nation today here in the united states where innocent lives are slaughtered by the hundreds because of men or individuals who are filled with hatred and end the lives of innocent people without any thought of it we hear of atomic warfare according to Leading scientists that will destroy all our present civilization. (laughs) A lot of bad news. And I could go on and on and on. But I remind us tonight that in the midst of a world that we live with all kinds of bad news, I'm thankful for two words from the scripture that have always impressed me. and they're just simply but god you know in a, in a world that's filled with all this bad news nothing that i mentioned or could have mentioned about all the bad things that are happening in our world today are one bit a surprise to almighty god and aren't you thankful for that tonight <laughs> you know God in his word has good news. And here are my four points. I'm not gonna spend a lot of time thinking about a broad view of God's love. We know the Bible says that it's not God's will that any one person perishes, but that they would what? Come to the knowledge of the truth. And so as you, as you try to imagine uh, you know, my imagination sometimes runs wild, and I, I uh, need to bring it back into focus, you know, uh, if you have an imagination. But, but think about it tonight. Imagine if you could, for just one moment, the heart of God as he looks at this world that, I, that he has created, he has put all these people on this earth, and it's not his desire at all that any one person would be lost. Keep that in mind as I share these, these uh, brief points with you. First of all, I'd like you to turn to Isaiah chapter 2, and I'd like to share with you a few verses here that my first point is, is that God has good news for the nations in a world that's full of bad news God has good news for the nations Isaiah chapter 2 and verses 3 and 4 and many people shall go and say come ye and let us go up to the mountains of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob and he will teach us of his ways and he will walk in his paths we will walk in his paths for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. This is the part I want you to get. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn learn war anymore. There's coming a time, brothers and sisters, where nations will no longer lift up sword against a nation. And I'm here to tell you that is not going to be organized by any world leader, present or future, that will bring about a peaceful resolution to the world's problems today. But I introduce you to one who will make it happen, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? He's going to bring into existence upon this world a, a time of peace, where there will be no war anymore. And you know, I don't. I try not to make it too much of a habit to listen to or, or even look at any of the news, but I'm 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 interested. Okay, so I, I do listen and look at some articles. And you know, I see a desperate situation where just about any world leader right now who would have a, a recipe for peace in our world would probably be revered by just about all the world. But again, I say that the hope that God has for the nations in this passage here in, in Isaiah tells me that it's yet future And it's not going to be an earthly king who's going to bring it about. There could be a lot more said about that. I want you to turn back now to Deuteronomy for my second point. I'm going to look at a few more verses here. But God has hope and good news in his word for his own select people, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. And again tonight, if I... Say something you don't agree with as far as eschatology, that i leave that. But I'm going to share some verses that I see that God has some hope for the people that he has chosen thousands of years ago as his chosen people. Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 3 and 4. And then the Lord thy God will turn thy captivity and have compassion upon thee and will return and gather thee from all the nations whither the Lord thy God hath scattered thee. If any of thine be driven out unto the outmost parts of heaven from from thence will the Lord thy God gather thee and from thence will he fetch thee. (laughs) Find that interesting terminology. Let's go now to Jeremiah, this was all the way back in the time of Deuteronomy through Moses that God promised that he would bring his people back into their land. Here in Jeremiah uh, chapter 32, read a couple verses. Jeremiah 32 and verse 36. And now, therefore, thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning this city, whereof, ye say, it shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon by the sword and by the famine and by the pestilence. Behold, I will gather them out of all countries, whither I have driven them in mine anger and in my fury in, and in great wrath, and I will bring them again unto this place, and I will cause them to dwell safely. Jump down to verse 41, yea, I will rejoice over them to do them good, and I will plant them in this land assuredly with my whole heart and with my whole soul. And verse 44, men shall buy fields for money and subscribe evidences and seal them and take witnesses in the land of Benjamin and in the places about Jerusalem and in the cities of Judah and in the cities of the mountains and in the cities of the valley and in the cities of the south, for I will cause their captivity to return, saith the Lord. And a few more verses yet in, in uh, chapter 33, verse 25 and 26. Jeremiah 33, 25 and 26. Thus saith the Lord, if my covenant be not with day and night and if I have not appointed the ordinances of heaven and earth then will I cast away the seed of Jacob and David my servant so that I will not take any of his seed to be rulers over the seed of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob for I will cause their captivity to return and have mercy on them. And I could turn to a lot more verses. I'm not going to do that but I would just say this that the regathering The regathering of the Jewish people into their homeland is a miraculous work of God in our lifetime that truly points forward to the soon coming King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There is hope for his people Israel. There is also good news, my third point here, good news and hope for the church. The gentile church age is soon to come to a close, brothers and sisters, but yet you and I sitting here tonight, I don't know who all you are, but I expect that none of you here are of Jewish lineage. But let me say there is hope in God's word for the church because he created it. It came into existence there in the day of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit came down and men went out and preached the powerful message of, God, of, of Christ, of salvation. And Peter's powerful message in the day of Pentecost caused, what, thousands to come to the Lord for salvation. But in the dark age that you and I live in today, where our world seems to be off the rails, there's still good news for the church. Now we go to the New Testament. First Thessalonians. And I would say that this passage that I'm about to share with you is the next great event in our world today. <laughs> Someone had asked me one time about the return of Christ and what the next major event would be. And I would say right here are the verses I'm going to read to you. First Thessalonians 4, 16. 1 Corinthians 15, I'm not going to take time to go there. You're all familiar with the resurrection chapter or the verses there in 1 Corinthians where it talks about, we shall not all sleep, meaning that we we will not all have died. We will not all sleep. But it says we shall all be changed. Verses 52 to 58, you can read it for yourself. There's a change coming. There is hope for the church today that the future is going to produce when Jesus comes in the clouds of heaven, those who are dead in Christ will rise first and those who are alive and remain will rise to meet him in the air. Most biblical uh, prophecy students call that the rapture of the church. And uh, I believe that tonight we should be comforted together that the darker the world gets there's coming a time when I believe God will remove those who are faithful to him and then the wrath of God will come upon the world. So that's my third point. The fourth point tonight is there's good news for you as an individual. You know, 1 Thessalonians 5, we're right here. Paul writing to the Thessalonians, if I, if I understand it correctly and I understand my Bible correctly, Paul wrote to the Thessalonians who had thought they had missed the coming of Jesus Christ. and they were, And they were concerned about that. Some were fearful, thought they were left behind. And Paul writes some comforting words here beginning at verse 1 of chapter 5 but of the times and the seasons brethren ye have no need that I write unto you for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night for when they shall say peace and safety then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child and they shall not escape but ye brethren are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. I'd like to just stop there for a moment. Aren't you thankful tonight that we do not have to live in darkness about the future? Yes, I'm not here to propose to you when or how it is going to happen. I don't know that. But I've, I've, I share these verses with us to comfort us to know that God has not appointed us to wrath, as you'll see later on in this, ver- in this chapter. He has not appointed us to wrath, but to salvation in Jesus Christ. And so there is good news for us as Christians. And lastly, before I go to my last part of my message here in looking at uh, a bit more practical areas, there is hope also for the unbeliever tonight. You know, when you think about presenting the gospel to your friend who may not know Jesus or your family member who may be lost who have made decisions and it's taking him down the road of misery, can you at least present them with some hope? Absolutely! The gospel message has hope tonight even for those who are living outside of the will of God. Why or how can I say that the unbeliever has hope? Well, what you have to share with them is is that very briefly, (laughs) over 2,000 years ago, God so loved this world that he sent his only begotten Son into this world that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Listen tonight, friends, there is hope for the unbeliever. But God has also created every one of us sitting here and every one of the unbelievers that you might think of while I'm preaching this message. God has chosen to allow you and me and everyone else to make that decision. God created us as human beings to have a choice. The animal world doesn't make choices. They simply live and operate by instinct. What God tells them to do, that's what they do. The Bible says he takes care of even the the lilies of the field, but he also feeds the sparrow. (laughs) He takes care of of the, the animal kingdom. But for you and I, as human beings tonight, there is hope in making a choice to surrender my life, your life, to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And that is how we can present hope to a lost world. Let's go now to the Gospel of John. And we want to draw some points from the experience of Jesus with the woman at the well. John chapter 4. I think what I'm going to do is take time to read. It's a fairly lengthy passage, but to help us to understand and grasp the communication, and then I want to draw some principles from this, uh, this dialogue that Jesus had with this woman at the well. John chapter 4, verse 7, There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir... Thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? And Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst again but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, the woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, in that saidest thou truly. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And upon this came his disciples, and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou? or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, come see a man which told me all things that I ever did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. I'm just gonna cease reading there the dialogue here between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Four points I'd like to draw from this as we consider the message tonight on a love for the lost that compels action. First point is, Jesus alone is the living water that fills our void. Verse 14, But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst but the water that I shall give him shall be a well be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. One thing you need to be aware today in our day is some various things about witnessing and showing a love for the lost world. You go out and talk to individuals today, you're more than likely to face what I would call a uh, what what in our postmodern era it is it is described and understood as truth being relative okay and and i've i've asked the question already how is that concept or that mindset that many people have around us we would like to say it's all out in the world but i challenge us to think about how is that mindset affecting our churches okay now i 'm talking about winning the loss, so i shouldn't get on talking about our church, but that mindset is what really concerns me and let me share let me share uh, why I have that burden. Uh, I met a man one time and i uh, i I fairly knew him. I only met him once or twice, but he knew that I was a Christian, at least he told me he knew that, and uh, in talking with him, he was he was about as foul-mouthed and things coming out of his mouth that I would not not even think about sharing with you tonight because they're they're vulgar, they're ungodly. But uh, as I as I talked to him one time about world conditions, and obviously the the big thing was COVID right? And so he was, he was, he was a fearful man. I mean, where I load my, take out my loads of insulation, he was right in the next bay, he was loading a semi in the next bay from me and I was on the other side. I said, how are you doing, Bill? And <laughs> stay back, Jim. Stay, you know, social distance. Stay away from me. <laughs> but later on, I met him and, uh, He was that fearful, we were waiting to get unloaded. It was close to Washington DC at a job site and a number of truckers standing around talking with each other and Bill looked at me. He says, Jim, he said, I know you're a religious man. He said, "Uh, what is really, what is really happening? He, then you know what he said to me? He said, is the world really coming to an end? Talk about an open door. (laughs) <laughs> right? You wait for doors to open sometimes and talk to people. And in the back of my mind I thought, Lord, what shall I say? I said, well, Bill, I said, your, your question is yes. The world is coming to an end and I said, you better be ready. He just hung his head. He said, yeah, I know I need to think about my life. <clears throat> but what I was going to say on witnessing you will also come across people who say oh well that you know that's your that's your understanding of truth <laughs> i don't understand that as truth for me see truth is relative right you need to be prepared on how to how to talk to people like that because there is this this aspect of truth being relative doesn't really matter what you believe. That's not what I believe. And they say it without even, you know, no big deal. That's truth for you, not for me. So, (laughs) but here's my first point of looking at this coming back here to Jesus' communication with this woman the first thing you need to understand and realize and have firmly settled in your mind is that Jesus alone is the living water that fills our void. What did Jesus say to uh, uh, John 14? I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he also went on to say that no man comes to the Father but by me. Whoa, that that takes uh, this idea of truth being relative and really stretches it, doesn't it? Then you'll have people who say, well, that's an arrogant statement from Jesus. And I say, whoa, (laughs) wait a minute. Really? No, brothers and sisters tonight, that is gospel truth. And Jesus is the only way but people that you meet and you want to share Christ with will not have that same idea in their mind and you need to be ready for it. <laughs> so how are you going to convince them? You know, Jesus did an interesting thing here. He, uh, he, he had a way of communicating with this woman that I believe, you know, this woman... Well, let me go, let me go on here to my next point. Jesus is not phased by our sin. You know, in his communication with a woman, he said to her, go tell your husband, bring your husband. And she said, well, I don't have one. Now, one thing that is different for you and I in our witnessing and trying to help the lost come to Jesus, we cannot read their life like Jesus did that's one difference I see here where you and I as humans are limited we don't know what a person's life is unless you build a relationship with them first and they tell you about their life if I understand my Bible correctly this was the first time Jesus met this woman but he understood her heart he understood who she was and she he knew she needed to be cleansed so in the life of this woman her sin didn't phase Jesus at all and there's an important point that I'd like to generalize just a bit here and that is is that Jesus is not phased by any measure of sin in any person's life in other words he's god he's the foundation of truth And he said he's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only way to the Father. And so Jesus, the truth about Christ and who he is to this woman or to any one of us today or anyone who you want to try to share the gospel with is not changed by any amount of sin in any person's life. Point number three. Jesus is our savior and king. This woman's understanding was darkened about who Jesus was. What did she say when Jesus told her that she had five husbands? (laughs) You know, he, he carefully and lovingly told her about her very life. And you notice what she said in verse 19? Ah, you're a prophet. What does she say? I perceive that thou art a prophet. What, uh, why do you think she said that? (laughs) Well, who else, other than the men of the city that she probably was, you know, very close to, had relations with, would have known her life? And when Jesus laid his finger on her sin, she said, you must be a prophet. (laughs) Interesting. You see, there's people today, and even many who call themselves Christian, who would like to say, sure, I'm a Christian. I love the Lord. Jesus saved me from my sins. But they live like the devil, the way they want to. You see, friends, tonight, if you don't have Jesus Christ as Lord of your life, you don't have him as Savior either. It needs to be total sellout, totally committed. And so this woman's understanding was darkened about who Jesus was, and so can my life and yours if we allow sin to dwell in our heart. Um, The psalmist, I I can't think of the verse right now, but if you have sin in your heart, the Lord doesn't hear you. We can pray all we want. We can say all kinds of fabulous testimonies about the saving love of Jesus, how he has cleansed us, but if we're harboring sin in our life, we are going to be, our understanding is going to be darkened and it gets worse and worse the longer you hang around sin and fourthly fourth point here in this account of jesus with the woman at the, uh, the samaritan woman number four our life should overflow in the exaltation of the messiah you know it says here that jesus said and said to her in verse 26 I that speak unto you (laughs) am he." For this Samaritan woman, I don't know what her reaction was, well, we see part of it, and that is that she left her water pot and went back to the city and told all the men to come out and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. I started out this message tonight talking about hope for the lost, right? Hope for the, for, the, for the non-Christian. Do you believe tonight that Jesus can save anyone? I sure hope you do because he can. And this woman was miserable. In her communication with Jesus, you can't necessarily pick up how filthy her, her life was but we know from hopefully not experience of of immorality, but we know how how misery is, how miserable you have been before Christ. Do you remember how that was? And Jesus knew the need of this woman. And so tonight as we think about a love for the lost that produces action. How can we how can we minister to to uh, hurting people around us? I just have a a little bit of a story of a relative of ours, and. Uh, Several of our grandchildren go to a school in Lancaster, Pennsylvania that reaches out to the community. They allow children to come from various, various home settings, some that are pretty poor and some that are pretty less than poor, poverty stricken. And, uh, and so this relative of ours went to school to help with some uh, aspect of school. I forget even what it was, but there was these, uh, I think it was two little boys that uh, she asked the one little boy, she said, uh, how, could I, how could I help you today? Or what, what could I pray for you about? And he just looked in her eyes and he said, uh, I would like to have a house. And I would like to be able to see my mom. And I wish that my dad wouldn't pass out. She said to him, she said, "Well, I don't know that I can do much about having you see your mom or or uh, be able to help your dad." He had uh, a serious work injury, and was not able to work because of seizures. But she said, there's one thing that I probably could do, and I don't know if she told him right then or not. But uh, this was before Christmas. And so she decided that uh, she was going to have her family home. You know, Christmas is for families, right? But she invited this little boy, and I think her brother and, or his, his brother, I think it was two little boys and, and, her da- and their dad, to come to Christmas dinner with her family. She bought them small gifts, and the boys spent the afternoon running all over the house and playing with her own children and had a wonderful time. Why do I share this story with you? It's not to bring any credit to my relative. She simply tried to do the smallest deed of kindness for someone that was hurting. And as I think about our world today and all of the broken pieces, all of the broken lives I'd like to ask you a very personal question. Is God bringing somebody into your life that you could help? And if you're like me, (laughs) if you're like me, you say, well, what difference can I make for our relative She brightened one Christmas day for a little boy and his daddy. Yes, we may not be able to impact the world overnight. You've always heard it said we didn't get here overnight. (laughs) We're not going to get out of this overnight either. But my challenge to all of us tonight is, is if we really we're able, through this message, to, to imagine and sense the heart of God for lost humanity. Can you reach out to that neighbor boy or girl? Can you reach out to that broken home across the street or down the road? Maybe share a meal with them or take a meal to them. If they don't have a place to live, invite them over to your house. And just show the love of Christ by one small deed. You know, many of us, as I started out the message tonight about the rich man and Lazarus, Many of us sitting here tonight have wealth beyond helping more than one or two poor children or families. What are we going to do about that? I simply challenge us to think about, we have been so blessed with resources beyond what we can even imagine. And we thank the Lord for that. We praise God for blessing us in that way. But as I close tonight, again, think about the picture of the heart of God who's broken because of so many people that have rejected him and are headed to a Christless eternity. And then ask yourself, what can I? How can I help? What can I do? Let's bow our heads for prayer. Our Heavenly Father, tonight, we come with thankful and grateful hearts to you, our Heavenly Father, and just lift up your name and praise and adore you because you are God. I thank you that we can put our trust in you You loved each one of us while we were yet sinners. You sent your son to have his body be broken and his blood shed on the cross of Calvary for the sins of each one of us sitting here tonight. But oh God, I I pray that you would not have us short-sighted tonight as a body of believers who thank and praise you for salvation, to also think about the many hurting souls around us. Maybe even in some of our churches, people who can't figure out what God's will is for their life and they're walking away from you. God, our hearts bleed tonight because you love them. You have created them in your image and they're valuable in your sight. You've blessed us tonight, God, with so much material blessings here in America. And here in conservative Mennonite churches, we have wealth far more than we need. Lord, I just pray that you would lay it upon the hearts of this congregation here tonight to think seriously about how they could help some hurting souls to find the Lord and find the love of God, have their sins washed away and receive the joy of the Lord in their heart and have an eternity with you to look forward to rather than to head to a Christless eternity without you. God, I commit this time to you and pray that you would speak to each one, each life that is here tonight on how we can have a burden for the lost and how we can begin to make a difference. Commit it all to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.